I didn't know that it would ever be like this. Like I said, I thought I'd do a couple interviews and <laughs> go home and go on with the rest of my life, and that, that was it, right? But uh, it's blown up. Uh, it's kind of along for the ride right now. I'm so pumped to sound the sirens and uh, see all the crowd, see how crazy and loud it can be here. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We do have lines open free-for-all Friday style. Both guests are later, so now's a good time for your question, comment, com- complaint, or prognostication. NFL, college basketball, a little NHL. If you recognize that voice, it's probably because he was one of the media darlings of the entire sports world and even beyond. Sports figures don't often get invited onto things like the Date Today Show or Late Night with Stephen Colbert. That was David Ayers, the most famous emergency backup goalie in the history of hockey, from his visit here on the David Glenn Show earlier this week, amidst all those other national and local TV appearances, he was the 42-year-old Zamboni driver who rescued the Canes and helped get them a win up in Toronto where he lives and even does some work with the Maple Leafs over the Maple Leafs in front of the fans that support the team that he is kind of sort of a part of. Did you know that NHL decision-makers are actually considering changing the rules for emergency backup goalies. Now, as we come to your calls, Gary wants in on college basketball. I have some thoughts on Duke's visit to UVA and other college hoops. The NFL Combine continues. Jordan Rodrigue live from Indianapolis in about 30 minutes. Chris Spatola, more college hoops in about 60 minutes. I'll tell you why MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred and his predecessor, Bud Selig, were recently told by a judge just yesterday, actually, that they have to be available for depositions in a lawsuit filed by someone injured by a foul ball. Long story short, I can tell you from my experience as an attorney, it is rare when the highest-ranking official has to be deposed. I mean, usually there's somebody else who can answer your question and provide some expertise. It's not usually the baseball commissioner and his predecessor. But this case is tricky enough Uh, A man suffered serious head injuries after being struck by a foul ball, I think it was last year. Long story short, at least unless they win on appeal, those guys are going to have to answer those questions as the figureheads of baseball, and that does not happen very often. 1-800-849-2761. In the NHL, they're discussing changes to the backup emergency goalie rules. So Ayers, remember works with the Toronto Marlies, the Maple Leafs minor league team, regularly, is also like an arena maintenance worker when he's not driving the Zamboni, does have some practice time with the parent club Maple Leafs at the NHL level. That's why so many of those guys on the opposite team, remember, were kind of giving him respect taps on his pads, just realizing that the guy's dream was coming true at 42 years old. They didn't know at the moment that they were going to end up losing to David Ayers while he put on the pads for the Carolina Hurricanes. The reason they're revisiting it, or one of them, is that they didn't like the optics. If the Maple Leafs had beaten the Canes, remember two of their first three shots against the guy who became the media darling, David Ayers, our guest earlier this week, went in. So David Ayers looked like a 42-year-old Zamboni driver for a little while, but then he held the fort, Canes get the win, and the Maple Leafs general manager was quoted as saying, can you imagine if the Canes had a big lead and then a guy on our payroll goes into net for the opposition and we just start blistering goals past him? What if the Maple Leafs had won? Wouldn't there have been conspiracy theories? Oh, how's David Ayers going to 
beat the team that he collects a paycheck from, minor league or, or NHL level. That is what they're trying to avoid. My pushback would be, whereas, yes, if you create a sports league, you do, you do need a rule for every eventuality. Anything you can foresee as possible, you better come up with a rule. Otherwise, everybody's going to be staring at each other, not knowing what to do when it finally happens. In the last 50-plus years of NHL-level hockey, only two emergency backup goalies have actually made it into the game. So my point would be, you've got a rule to address it, and at every NHL game, whether you knew it or not, there was an emergency backup goalie in the arena. The Canes actually have two different guys, both formerly of NC State's club hockey team, who show up at the arena. You know, they're not allowed to drink beer. they got to be available, like break glass in case of emergency. They're ready and willing. Every once in a while, one goalie gets hurt, and you got to go and get the pads on just in case they need you. But even in the rare occasions where one goalie is hurt so bad he can't return in that game, you usually end up, or you almost always end up, just sitting on the bench watching the rest of the game while wearing goalie gear. So the Canes at Toronto last Saturday night was the maybe not one in a million, but probably one in 100,000. And you don't really, I don't think, do you, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If you've only had two emergency backup goalies in 50-plus years who played, does it really need to be a docket item? when it finally does happen, and in this case, offered the NHL just countless volumes of positive publicity for the league, for the Canes, for David Ayers, for his family. It's not like anything went wrong, so there's no, re no need to change a rule that has only really been kicked into play twice in more than a half century. Gary and Wilson, welcome to Free For All Friday. You can follow Gary by dialing 1-800-849-2761. I'll get to Duke at UVA and what I expect to see from the Blue Devils in their big challenge against the Cavaliers. That's tomorrow, 6 o'clock, the ESPN game. The other biggest games include State hosting Pitt with the Wolfpack needing a win to sustain their bubble possibilities. Number 6 Florida State visits Clemson as FSU and Duke and Louisville continue to battle for first place and the number one seed in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Gary, welcome to Free For All Friday. Go right ahead. Yes, thank you, David. Uh, I am calling to lament the fact that the uh, Division I men's basketball tournament is continuing to evolve to where the Power Five schools dominate it and if you're a power five and go 500 in your conference and win two-thirds of your games overall, that you are a likely candidate for the field. There are many of our North Carolina schools who have invested heavily in transforming to Division One athletics, including High Point, Elon, UNC Asheville, Gardner-Webb, NC Central, and Winston-Salem State at one time who all were NAIA and reclassified maybe Division II first but eventually to Division One to have this opportunity. So, Gary, Gary hold, on, hold on one second. You're okay with the size of the field at 68 teams? Uh, but you, what's like they ask this question every once in a while. Would you vote in favor of a rule 
that requires any at-large team to be 500 or or maybe you would say over 500 or at least 500 in their conference because that kind of thing has been discussed by college basketball coaches and media. I'm not sure if it's ever made it you know, to the level of a former formal proposal, but you would vote in favor of that rule just to give the little guys a bigger chance? Yes, I would, as long as it applied to the little guys as well. Yeah, yes, yeah. Well, obviously, no little guy is going to be left out um, just because of that. There's a lot of one-bid leagues where the only way you become a possible at-large is if you truly, truly, absolutely dominate like East Tennessee State in the Southern Conference this year. Almost every year, SOCON is a one-bid league. So you either win that conference tournament or you're not going to the big dance. ETSU may be the rare example this year if either Greensboro under Wes Miller or maybe Furman or somebody else wins that league's tournament. I think, you know, I mean, you know the reason you get a lot of pushbacks. One, it's about the money. <laughs> and the big tournaments like getting, a, the big conferences like getting a lot of the at-large bids. But then I think beyond the money part, and just in terms of fairness, what would you say to the lowest seeds that have ever won the, the NCAA tournament? Like Villanova was an eight seed representing at the time a one of the most powerful conferences, the Big East, when they won it all. UConn was a seven seed just six years ago, representing still a powerful conference uh, when they won it all. Kansas, remember Danny Manning and the Miracles in the old, I guess that was still the Big Eight predecessor to the Big 12. They were a six seed when they won it all in 1988, and NC State was a six seed when they won it all out of the ACC, obviously, under Jim Valvano in 1983. Now, not all of those were right on the bubble, but they clearly were not high-ranking seeds, but they were good enough even after making it through a difficult conference to win the whole thing. Yes, well, they in the case of NC State, the last time they won, uh, of course, they won the ACC they tournament did. to true. qualify. They did. But let's say Syracuse four years ago. Uh, trying to remember all the details, but Syracuse went to the Final Four four years ago under Jim Behan. I'll double-check the records, but they might be the example of the power conference team that's kind of middling, that got the benefit of the doubt, but then just proved their worthiness by going all the way to the Final Four after a mediocre regular season. So that's the, like, again, we all know it starts with money and the power conferences have the most power and they're getting the benefit of the doubt. And why has that rule never been adopted? Why has nobody ever said, hey, you got to be at least 500 in conference play to make to get an at large bid to the NCAA tournament? Well, it's because the big conferences would never, ever, ever, ever vote in favor of it. Some of the teams that we're describing on the bubble right now are not over 500 in conference play. Actually, NC State, as we speak, is under 500. Now, I think they're going to get to 10 wins and 10 losses in conference play by winning two of their last three ACC games. But Gary's rule would exclude right now this year's Wolfpack, for example. And Syracuse was 9-9 nine and nine in conference in 2016 when they made the final so four run. So it would depend on how you word the rule, right? Yeah. Are you excluding anybody who's not over 500? Are you excluding only those that are under 500? Those are the reasons it hasn't passed. One, power conferences don't want it. Power conferences have the, uh, the power and want more of the money from those at-large bids. Remember, the rule of thumb is every bid to the NCAA tournament 
is worth more than a million dollars to your league. Every victory in the NCAA tournament, with just a couple of exceptions, is worth another million dollars to your league. So when you win it all, you know, <laughs> you got the million just for getting into the big dance. You got another million plus for winning in the round of 64. You got another. This is one team now. So think of like the ACC has averaged eight teams per year the last four years. Virginia last year would bring in the ACC more than a million for making the big dance, more than a million more for the 64 round of 64 win, another million plus for the round of 32 win, another million plus for the Sweet 16 win, another million plus for the round of eight win, and another million plus at some point the rules change and you don't get extra for like I think it might be in the final four wins. I'd have to double check that. But just that example, Virginia brought like $6 million because it's more than a million at this point by making it and then winning all of those games. That's, that's a $6 million team from the ACC. Most of the smaller and mid-sized leagues only get one team in and they rarely win games. So in a good year, your league might bring in two to three million. The ACC and the Big Ten and the Big 12, they ain't going to just go along swimmingly if you propose a rule that you got to be over 500 in your league to be eligible for an at-large bid. I don't think the committee would like that. At some point, they always actually reinforce this. Jerry Palm just mentioned it on our show the other day. Your conference record is not even on the fact sheet. The committee members do not say, hey, this is a pretty good league and you're fifth in that league and that means you're in. No, your, your conference record is not even on a complicated chart sheet where, man, there's a lot of little tidbits of data on that sheet. The fact that they don't even put your conference record on there is a reminder that it is only relevant as it reflects your larger body of work. I mean, duh, if you happen to be like Florida State's 14-3 to in the ACC right now, that number's not on their sheet, but of course it reflects you're having a heck of a year. If you're 14-3, and well, that means your overall record must be pretty darn good, and indeed the Seminoles are 24-4 and overall. But that's the number the committee sees, 24-4, and strength of schedule, net ranking, all these other things. But conference record is that far away from the focal point, at least under the current rules. And Gary's, Gary's uh, proposal, by the way, has gotten a lot of run among media. It's gotten a lot of run among coaches of those mid-sized and low-major leagues. It has never gotten any traction at all in the eyes of the actual decision-makers, at least not enough in large enough numbers to be a, uh, a proposal that had any chance of succeeding. Jordan Rodriguez live from the NFL Combine in about 15 minutes. Chris Spatola on all things college basketball from ESPN in about 45 minutes. More of your free-for-all Friday phone calls on the other side. Duke is visiting UVA, and Coach K has described the Devils lately as, quote, showing their youth too much. That's one of the highlights of the college basketball weekend. Meanwhile, the XFL enters week four. Attendance is actually up with each passing week. They're averaging not far from 20,000 people per game in that eight-team reboot league of Vince McMahon. TV ratings are on the decline, but compared to what other sports get for their games, even the XFL's declining TV ratings 
are pretty darn solid. More on those stories with more of your phone calls. It can be a question. It can be a comment. It can be a complaint. It can be a prognostication. You steer our ship to any corner of the sports universe that you would like to visit. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. One of the world's greatest Olympians just got an eight-year ban for violate, violating anti-doping rules. And, of course, the entire sports system in the nation of Russia is on alert and mostly unavailable for the Tokyo Olympics. So a big scandal gets even bigger and reaches yet another country. 1-800-849-2761. More on those headlines with your calls next. Rob Schneider joining us on the David Glenn Show. When they try to have three days of the NFL draft on TV, my friends said, hey, you going to watch the NFL draft? That's like getting excited about a strip club that's still under construction. <laughs> like you see that building over there in a couple of months? There's going to be some breasts in there. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Coach Williams will not stop coaching, and they'll get more out of what they have than anybody. He's one of the elite guys to ever do it, and here they are having a really difficult year. The breaks haven't gone their way, whether it's with injuries or some of the ways they've lost one or two possession games, and I think it just really goes to show everybody's capable of having a difficult year in college basketball in this day and age. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Free For All Friday. We do have two great guests later. Chris Spatola on College Hoops in 35 minutes. Jordan Rodrigue in less than 10 minutes from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Cam Newton, of course, is on everybody's agenda. But NFL hopefuls are assembled in Indianapolis. Quarterbacks, wideouts, and tight ends were on the field yesterday. Offensive linemen, running backs, kickers, and other special teamers are on the field today. Still others are going through psychological testing and measurements and interviews and all the rest of that stuff. Jordan Rodriguez soon, Chris Patola later, your calls now. That was Wes Miller, the former Tar Heel, part of a national championship team playing for Roy Williams, now the ninth-year head coach at UNC Greensboro. They lost that senior night matchup to Furman earlier this week, but they are still in contention in the Southern Conference and would love to win that tournament in lovely Asheville, North Carolina, here in early March. Duke is at UVA tomorrow. Carol Carolina goes to Syracuse. The Wolfpack hosts Pitt. Those are some of the more important games here locally. Freddie in Clayton wants in on college basketball. Others want to steer our ship elsewhere on Free For All Friday. You can do so by dialing 1-800-849-2761. Quickly on Duke, and then we'll get to Freddie and Clayton. And then uh, Jordan Rodrigue from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Coach K described his Blue Devils as showing their youth too much when they lost by 22 at unranked NC State and by 12 at unranked Wake Forest. I mentioned earlier this week, I've covered all five of Coach K's national championship teams. There are no examples of his title teams suffering those kinds of losses, plural, in the month of February or later. Now, they lost to ranked teams in some years and came back to win it all. They even lost to an unranked team one year and came back to win it all. They never sagged in late February in a year that they ended up being the one to cut down the national championship nets. For that to change, and of course they're still high in the rankings, number seven as they head to UVA to play the Cavs in Charlottesville tomorrow, it really boils down to the other freshmen. Some Vernon Carey, especially how he had manages foul trouble, but he's been mostly great this year. Cassius Stanley is sometimes an all-ACC player and sometimes invisible. Matthew Hurt is sometimes 
a future first-round NBA pick as a 6'10", three-point shooting big guy, and sometimes completely invisible, including that close game against the Tar Heels in Chapel Hill and that 22-point loss to the Wolfpack in Raleigh. Wendell Moore Jr. is sometimes a scrappy defender and one of the heroes in that comeback victory in Chapel Hill for the Devils and sometimes just a turnover machine and a guy who makes too many mental mistakes. Even Trey Jones, the sophomore point guard, needs to grow up a little bit more to continue Coach K's theme. Those are his views of his own team. After 28 games, we should be playing older by now. UVA is a great test of that medal as Duke goes to Charlottesville tomorrow. Freddie and Clayton, welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Hey, David. How you doing, sir? Doing great. What's on your mind? Oh, listen, I'm listening to the show every every day almost. And um, and I, I've just got a real thing I've been talking about several times with my friends about the NCAA. Yeah. I get really irritated by the automatic burst uh, to teams when they win their tournament. And my, my feeling is you should get your automatic burst if you win the regular season of your league. Not an automatic because you'll win your tournament. You probably, and, yeah. really and, and I agree with you logically. Go ahead. And the reason I really bring it up this year, because I'm a diehard NC State fan. Love NC State from forever. But my point is for this year, give UNC with their record, okay? It's a perfect example. And then you look at NC State's overall record. I'm going to say overall record. Okay, UNC goes and wins the ACC tournament this year they won't this but year. i get it yeah there there are rare examples of a really lowly ranked team shocking the world and yes because they win over three or four or five days it basically undoes what they did or how bad they were for three or four months and i understand that have you been around around long enough to remember unc coach dean smith the late legendary one of the greatest of all time he believed that the true champion of any league was the regular season champion and he would always say, man, what's the better test of how good you've been? What you did over months or what you did over days? You know, back then, you'd win three games and you win the ACC tournament. And he always thought it'd be harder to be consistently great over months, which is logically true, than to be just kind of lightning in a bottle great for three or four or five days. So he's right. But you probably know why, Freddie, they haven't adopted this. Because conference tournaments would not be as popular, right? Everybody goes to their conference tournament knowing that if they just keep winning, they're in the big dance. And there's something Cinderella-like exciting about that. You can make up for a miserable regular season with three, four, five days of magic. And that is part of what makes college basketball a tournament-centric sport. The big dance, of course, you crown a national champion how? With a tournament. You don't crown a champion the way they do in the English Premier League. Whoever wins the most soccer matches over a regular season, you're the champion. There's no bracket playoff at the end. They have brackets in other contexts in soccer to declare other champions, but not that way in that example. We do national champions bracket-wise in almost every college sport, and we do conference champions that way because people needed to sell tickets back in the old days, and then college basketball became known as a tournament-driven sport. March Madness became this mega-famous phrase that everybody uses all the time. As American sports fans, you know, put many put college basketball from their back burner X number of months a year to their front burner for one or two months out of the year. And it's in part because you can shock the world, save your season, 
by winning your conference tournament just as we declare that national champion based on the national tournament. Logically speaking, you make a lot of really good points, but athletic directors and commissioners and other decision makers, man, they need to give as many people as many reasons to go to that conference tournament as possible. And even coaches and players, they've got that out there as the carrot at the end of the stick. Coaches like it too because if they have a losing team, if you're Roy Williams right now, what can you say? There, if there wasn't an automatic bid waiting in the conference tournament for, let's face it, 60% of teams out there, you'd start losing interest. Fans would lose interest in many of those fan bases because there's that long shot lightning in a bottle scenario. It helps keep it more interesting at more schools for more players, for more coaches, and for more fans. And that's why the conference champion being the tournament champion, that theme is not going away anytime soon. The Ivy League, by the way, forever declared their official champion was their regular season champion. They didn't even want to have a conference tournament. So that sentiment is out there, but it, it has faded away for those reasons that I mentioned. Jordan Rodriguez does a great job covering the NFL and the Carolina Panthers for the Athletic Carolina. She's at the Combine in Indianapolis. Are we going to have 11 more years of labor peace in America's most popular sport, we may know by the end of the weekend. And who is making a name for himself at the Combine in Indianapolis with the draft about two months away? Jordan Rodriguez knows the answers to all of our questions. She joins us next on the David Glenn Show. Mac Brown of the University of North Carolina. We got to win now. Let's don't start looking at rebuilding. Let's don't talk about how bad we are. Let's don't talk about we're not better than anybody. Let's figure out how to win. And that's what we've done. And, and the Coastal, because it's been up in the air every year, why shouldn't we have a chance? Keep it dialed in to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. These questions I'm about to share as we bring in Jordan Rodriguez of the Athletic Carolina from the, the uh, NFL Combine in Indianapolis. These have been actually asked of NFL prospects. You ready for this? Did, do you find your mother attractive? That's seriously a question that is asked at the Combine. When did you lose your virginity? A question asked at the NFL Combine. What is your murder weapon of choice? Do you like cats or dogs more? Would you rather be a cat or a dog? Where are you sitting on a bus that is speeding on a mountain? <laughs> These are all actual questions asked at actual NFL combines. Jordan Rodriguez asks much more intelligent questions than those. Find her work at the Athletic Carolina. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Have you ever gotten a good answer to what exactly NFL teams are looking for when they ask these creative questions? Yeah, it's it's a little I mean it seems a little silly and you know I don't I don't know about that as far as a strategy um some of it I think it comes in a rapid fire type of situation where they're trying to see how this guy can think on his feet or think quickly yeah. and um to see if he can you know there's like some psych psychological evaluations or attachments to some of the answers but a lot of it is like can this guy think quickly? Is he awake? You know, this is a really tiring process. Is he going to just like play along with it because he's like a zombie right now? Is he going to be sharp? That kind of a thing. 
Um, but, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. By the way, Cam Newton had one of the greatest answers in Combine history. He was asked, would you rather be a cat or a dog? And seriously, his answer was, I see myself as more of a human being, actually. That was his answer. So credit, to, credit to Cam Newton it. from nine, nine <laughs> years ago, right around this time. Jordan Rodrigue, follow her on Twitter, at Jordan Rodrigue. Are you a believer that the main things prospects can accomplish at Indianapolis include just basically avoiding red flags or giving people reasons not to draft you? Or are you a believer that, you know, these crazy 40 times or bench press numbers or other things can, can dramatically impact, you know, how you are viewed in the draft late in April? Well, you know, it's only in, in rare situations, kind of outlier situations where we see, um, you know, exaggerated drafts or excuse me, ex exaggerated testing numbers or an exaggerated, like, epic failure in an interview being something that um, could could rise or tank somebody. Really what happens is the interview process is the most important thing. And then the process in which they kind of are these shadow networks of, of meetings and corners of hotels and lobbies and rooms. And those are the most important, you know, meeting with personnel, getting the, the team will do an extensive background check. One kid said <laughs> yesterday, you're going to love this. One kid said yesterday, uh, he was informed by a team that he had no red flags except they found 37 parking yes. tickets that he owed when yes. he was in college. <laughs> um, you know, things like that where you know, it, all that stuff is done in advance. They know kind of what type of guy an athlete is coming into the room. And then it's about do you, do you mesh with the, with the coaching staff? Are you blending well with the personnel who are in the room? Um, are you answering the question for, you know, to the best of your ability? And, and you know, does it mesh with what they want to hear? The testing stuff, I mean, more and more you see guys that aren't even bothering with it. Like, there are a couple guys you can get incentives if you run a quicker 40 or you can impress people and, and kind of raise your stock a little bit with that, um, especially if there were questions about you entering the process. But, um, I mean, you're seeing guys more and more often opt out or, like, these, like, mysterious injuries pop up so they don't have to do it um, and then don't seem like they're kind of copping out of it. So it, it, it's, it's an interesting process, but the interviews are definitely where things happen. As these guys are trying to make it to the NFL, the current NFL players have in front of them uh, the collective bargaining agreement proposal. The owners have already approved. Some uh, big-name players have already said they're voting no. Uh, I don't know if you're just in tunnel vision there, combine style, or you can get any sense of the bigger picture. But this is 11 years of labor peace at stake. If, you know, mm -hmm. they only need one more yes vote than no vote, the way the rules work for the Players Association. Do you have a sense as to which way this is going to go? And, you know, have you gathered why some of the bigger names think it's an unfair proposal? Yeah, you know, first of all, you know, it, it's directly affecting kind of the, the pace at which some of these transactions are, are able to happen this offseason. Um, you, you probably have noticed there's just kind of a lack of, of, of movement going on right now because the CBA stuff has, has stalled that. And, you know, right now you'd be seeing a flurry of announcements or, or sourcing source reports on, um, you know, certain guy gets extension guy will be picked up on the tag will not you know these kinds of things right now um there's kind of a gray a gray area going on it's almost like they're in purgatory um because there is still debate on this matter and you know i got the sense um at times that you know players felt like they were being rushed into something 
that there needs to be a healthy and hearty debate about these things. Um, and you know, a lot of a lot of conversation centers around this proposed 17th game, and yeah. you know, the things that um, certain players you know will be incentivized, while other players kind of are not um, benefiting. You know, what we're putting our bodies on the line for you know less less return on revenue for ourselves and the imbalance toward the owners and those kinds of things are topics of discussion. Um, you know, they're very closed sessions, so it's, it's hard to glean much out of it, but it's, it's very much something that's stalling um, what a huge part of this combine is for, and that is for the not-so-secret like tampering between teams and agents and things like that as they kind of start to set up free agency with, with things uncertain in that regard. You can't, you can't know, well, am I going to be able to use this the franchise or transition tag, or are those things that are just like literally being removed? I mean, they just things like that. There's so much uncertainty right now. Panthers coach Matt Rule, of course, was among those who spoke to you and the rest of the media earlier this week. I feel like I, I need to ask you to speak another language, Jordan. I don't know what is your second behind English, but like cam speak is this new language where we all need a decoder ring, whether it's David Tepper talking or Joe Brady or Cam himself on Instagram uh, or Matt Rule earlier this week. Did, did Matt Rule's comments add anything to this picture or are we just all going to be mostly guessing for at least another month or so? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's good to have them come out publicly and say, hey, um, you know, it's good to have Matt come out publicly and say, hey, I'd like this guy to play for me if he's healthy. Right. Um, because, you know, as a, a person with a brain in my skull, I know how great he can be <laughs> if he's healthy. Mm. Um, and I thought that was uh, overdue, and I thought that it was a good thing that he came out and said it. I also, you know, it's not the only thing he said, although judging by Twitter, you would think it was. Um, he also said that, you know, if it's going to make the team better, they're open to pretty much anything in terms of trades, in terms of adding capital, um, in terms of moving capital. And so he also said that. And then he said, um, you know, he's, he's the coach. And I think this is a smart thing for, for Matt Rule to say right now is that he's, he's the coach of this team. And that there are other people, you know, personnel people that are making certain decisions. And he's, he's really lucky and fortunate because he gets to coach the guys. And so to me, um, you know, that's, he's doing all the right things. He's doing what need, needed to be done by publicly committing to a franchise quarterback um, and, and saying the things that need to be said about Cam Newton that had not been said publicly by the organization to that point um, for, for whatever reason. Um, and, and kind of fixing the optics on that. But also, he put himself in a great position publicly because, you know, this decision, we still don't know what ultimately the decision will be on Cam Newton. Um, but he said the right things in terms of, hey, I'm the coach, so if something does happen, remember I'm the coach. And also, um, you know, making sure it's known like if, if Cam is healthy, which has, of course has been the line um, that we've heard since the middle of last year. You're around Cam Newton a lot more than we are. When I see his social media posts, like sometimes it takes me a while just to read hashtag shine through the shade because he uses so many interesting characters and stuff. Uh, earlier this week, he posted the Instagram video where he's working out, and then he includes among his comments into the camera, I am so comfortable being uncomfortable. This is easy for me, man. All I want is a little commitment, and you can't give me that expletive 
I mean, do you speak Cam enough to know, like, what that was all about? What meaning do you take out of that or not take out of that? Yeah, you know, it's just it's just kind of um, – it kind of just goes into what we, we talked about a couple weeks ago, David, where it's just – I think there's a lot of action and reaction on between either camp here. And for me, um, you know, the, I just kind of look at the timeline. The timeline to me seems to be – somewhat telling um you know early that morning there's a very strategic leak to nfl network um about yes you know cam's going to be healthy uh or he's going to pass his physical he's going to be named the starter very pleased with his progress um a leak to nfl network saying those things and yet the team had yet to publicly say anything um about cam newton um, and then, or like publicly commit to him despite, you know, n- several opportunities to do so. And then like two hours later, that Instagram post goes up. Um, oh, and by the way, it was publicly known that Matt rule would be at the podium at 2 PM that day, right, right. <laughs> you know? So I just think there's, you know, it's, it's all action and reaction. And to me, it's just a bunch of, of noise. I think people are saying and doing the right things, the smart things, um, the, pres- the you know self preservation on on both sides I think has been interesting to watch, and um, you know I think it's going to be a little bit of posturing until we know uh, you know if he suits up in September then all of this conversation can stop. Uh, otherwise, we don't know what's going to happen. Back to the combine. By my count, there are thirteen different dudes representing six different North Carolina colleges and universities there in Indianapolis. I know you've written about a couple of them or at least talked to them. Alex Highsmith was an All-American defensive end for the Charlotte 49ers. App State has a couple guys there. I'm not even sure how to pronounce the Lenore Ryan safety's name. Kyle Duggar or Duggar. Uh, he apparently, you know, measured well and impressed with his engineering background. What can you tell us about anybody from our neighborhood who may have made the right kinds of waves there in Indianapolis? Yeah, you know, I, I think Alex Heisman should have been given a podium. Um, he got a table session. I get it. He's a, a smaller school prospect. But I think he should have been given a podium at the Combine. Um, this is an historic thing that he's doing with their, for their program. And he carries himself extremely well, and he represents himself extremely well. And he has a fantastic story, worked his way um, up on a team as a walk-on. Like, not only was he a walk-on, he just wasn't like a normal walk-on. No, it was for a program that didn't exist. Right, right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I feel like he, I mean, I talked to him quite, for quite a long time. He, he represented himself extremely well. And, um, you know, I thought he should have gotten a little bit more attention um, throughout the course of the week. Um, I talked with um, uh, Duger a little bit today, and everybody is just blown away by him. There's people talking about, you know, maybe he goes in the first round. Wow. Um, it, it, going to Lenore Ryan this past year has become like um, kind of the t- one of the conversations had in the scouting community because it's like a pilgrimage you go see this kid who's like a myth essentially yeah and um it's just been really cool this these kinds of things you know you know me this is the kind of stuff i geek out over so 
um, it's been, it was really cool to catch up with those guys. Keep geeking. We, we love it. Jordan Rodrigue, <laughs> The Athletic Carolina, theathletic.com, on Twitter at Jordan Rodrigue. Catch all her stuff from Indianapolis, obviously, yesterday, today, and moving into the weekend. Different days, different position groups. As we let you go, were there any of the big national names that did anything of significance? We're all obsessed with quarterbacks most of the time, but Joe Burrow didn't even throw from LSU. Uh, Tua Tungavaloa is hurt from Alabama. Um, and I guess a Jordan Love or a Jake Fromm at quarterback sometimes make waves. Justin Herbert got good reviews out of Oregon. Uh, anything else you can add before we send you back to your real job? Yeah, Jalen Hurts, his stock is rising like by the minute out here. Cool. Um, people, you know, from people talking to him um, and the way he works out, um, people, his stock is rising like almost by the, the minute, if not the second out here. Um, so that's someone who he's, he's getting hot at the right time um, and Jordan Love as well. So I think that'll be interesting to watch as this quarterback's conversation continues throughout the next um, month or so. Hey, since Ross Blacklock of TCU had 37 parking tickets while there and <laughs> apparently didn't even know about it. Can you give us, you know, an unofficial estimate of Jordan Rodriguez parking tickets while in college? And more importantly, did you know you had them? Because he claims he didn't even know he had 37. Um, I actually have had, I think, three parking tickets. Right. I paid all of them, yeah. and once I talked my way out of a speeding ticket <laughs> in Spartanburg um, because I was going down a hill and I didn't see this, like, massive speed trap, and I was going, like, I won't even tell you how fast over the speed limit I was going, but it was very kind of the man to uh, understand that the sign was hidden by the tree. <laughs> so, so you went with the straight truth. You didn't pull any kind yeah. of crying episode or something like that. You just went God's honest truth, and he let, and he believed you, and he should have believed. Yeah, you. we went back. We went back and looked at it. I showed him. I said, "Look at my view coming down the street. Wow. I cannot see this," and it worked. Hey, and three parking tickets is not bad for an entire college career. I, I know I dwarfed that number. Uh, unlike Ross Blacklock, I remembered them, and I also paid them way back in the day. Thanks for dropping by, Jordan. Keep up the good work. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Take Look at care. That. Jordan Rodrigue doing all the right things on and off the NFL beat for the Athletic Carolina. Only three. And you know, she, she, she's honest enough that she would answer that question honestly. Probably others would not want. You had more than three at Emory and Henry. Oh yeah, and they're they're outstanding. Three. I I I probably have a a handful that are outstanding, and they always threatened that they wouldn't hand over your transcripts. You're one of the straightest arrows I know. You did not pay your parking tickets. No, but see, there was there was some some method controversy. Yeah, well, I mean. I eventually had to apply to graduate school, and I needed my transcript for that, and I was going to try to get my transcripts without having paying them, and they gave me the transcripts. So at that point, and I was it, like, that's the only hurdle that could have possibly been there. See, that's your good karma coming back and serving you well because <laughs> – They get I, enough I, of my money at Isn't that every, usually every the threshold? Yeah. Like, why, why would you pay your parking tickets unless you're just the person who feels like you need – you're obligated to kind of That was my up. logic. But aren't universities and colleges in the business of saying they will withhold either your diploma? Always. That's like the standard thing. That is their thing. That's their. Well, I got my diploma, leverage. got my transcripts yeah. later. No need. I don't think you're going to be needing them again. Back after this on the David Glenn Show. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene, and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Well, who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show.
beyond the ACC, there are big games this weekend in the Big East, Big 12, Big 10, and elsewhere. You might say that it's a really big weekend in college basketball here and afar. With that in mind, Chris Spatola, former Army star guard, now analyst for ESPN and The Athletic and others. Chris joins us next on The David Glenn Show. He's the UVA head basketball coach, Tony Bennett. You always believed in us. I guess you were the wind beneath our wings. There you go. How's that? <laughs> Do we but, have uh, background music that's for That's right. That's Bette Midler. There we go. You are the wind beneath my wings. Keep it right here on The David Glenn Show.